0: Proverbs chapter 15, as we, moving through this chapter, repetition in scripture is not accidental, it's purposeful. And so immediately these verses are familiar, but they stood out to me and I began studying them and it was a blessing to my heart. So we'll read verse 13. Verse 15, and then we'll turn over to Proverbs 17, and we'll find the three times that that phrase, a merry heart, is found in the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs 15, verse 13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is broken. Verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Chapter 17, verse 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. So verse 13, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Verse 15, he that hath a merry heart hath a continual feast. 1722, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. As I said, that phrase is only found three times in the book of Proverbs. It's one other time in the book of Ecclesiastes. Just think practically for a moment. Who do you like to be around most? A person who's negative about everything? Their life is the worst, their circumstances the most difficult. They can't speak without sucking the joy out of the room. Or a person who has the joy of the Lord. It doesn't mean life is easy, but rather than focusing on the negative, they see the positive, though they may have struggles. They see the good, they learn to trust God in their circumstances. If you're anything like me I struggle enough with keeping my attitude right I don't want to be with a person who's making it harder now that doesn't mean that life is you know we're not Pollyanna we're not pie in the sky we're not avoiding the reality of problems but this is in spite of those circumstances in life and I began doing a little bit of study I found, uh, how do you calculate this? I don't know, they say that the average child laughs 300 times a day, while the average adult laughs 17 times a day. Now you say, well, of course, adults mature, they, they understand reality, they are more aware of life and its challenges, more mature, more understanding. But I think that there's a maybe a greater issue, especially when you bring it into the life of a believer. The Bible does teach us there's a time to rejoice. There's a time to weep. There's a time to laugh and a time not. Ecclesiastes chapter three goes through that whole list of different times. There's appropriateness. It wouldn't be appropriate to break out in uh, a big laugh in a time of deep sorrow and a funeral service, etc. There are times when God brings conviction into our lives. James, we've just finished going through the book of James, chapter 4, verse 9 says, Be afflicted and mourn and weep, yet your la- let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. But the truth is in the day in which we live, the more I thought about these verses and meditated on them, the more I'm convinced that if there's ever been a time when God's people need to testify by their attitudes and their responses that their trust is in God and in spite of the difficulty, they can have the joy of the Lord, they will find what Nehemiah said is true The joy of the Lord is our strength. So let's consider these three verses. What is God wanting us to learn? Well, in verse number 13, where it says, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. I put it this way, a merry heart is a testimony to others. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Your expression, your facial expression Says a great deal about you. There are some people they just you know they either they've trained themselves or maybe there's a bit of DNA. They grew up in that kind of a that kind of a home where you know they're just they're just joyful that way naturally. They they have a happy disposition. Uh, that, that's that's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. That is not my natural disposition. Uh, you know, I, I don't see myself that way, but once again, the Bible is talking about how that which is on the inside shows on the outside. You know, boys, the Bible tell us? Uh, our words are rooted in our heart. All sin is rooted in our heart. Well, on the positive sense, a, a joyful heart shows forth in our countenance in our attitudes, in our responses. Now, this is not advocating some kind of silliness. This is not advocating uh, the empty laughter of the world. Yesterday, I went to get my hair cut. Nobody's shocked. I thought maybe you'd say we could tell you were overdue, but anyway. The, the barbershop I go to, I always know Jimmy's there early, so I go before he opens, but he's open, so I get in early and I don't have a wait. Anyway, so I got in there, but there are already two guys ahead of me, even though the shop didn't open for 45 minutes. But anyway, so, you know, you're in there. It's a, it's a man's barbershop. It's a, that kind of a place. And uh, when I finally got in the chair, uh, you know, I don't know all of his customers. Jimmy's just, he's an Italian and uh, he, he's very, uh, you know, sort of, he, he talks to everybody. He knows everybody. And uh, while well, he's cutting my hair, in walks a guy. And Jimmy says, hey, Mark, how you doing? He says, well, I'm not drunk yet, but it's early. Now, you know, he was just making, joking. He was goofing off. Maybe that's his line but I thought how indicative that is of the world. They have to find a way to numb themselves to try and pretend like they're having fun. You know, I learned so much during the four years I worked in American Steel Foundries, a fabricating shop and working with guys in that sector, how they tried to numb themselves from their pain, whether it was a broken marriage or kids that were out and messed up, or they're trying to hide it. Some did it with gambling. I mean, every other week when we got paid, I knew where those guys were going. They were going to the track. Some do it with booze, some do it with drugs, some do it with immorality. There's all kinds of ways the world will offer you, but it never solves it. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about uh, a genuine heart that understands God is good in spite of the circumstances. It's, it's, we're not promoting, the Bible's not promoting laughter. Laughter is not the goal. Joy or laughter is an indicator of the heart condition. Laughter doesn't, it doesn't reveal on its own that the heart is focused on the Lord. In fact, uh, look back in chapter 14, verse 13, it says, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful and the end of that mirth is heaviness so this isn't just go do whatever is going to make you happy for some you know young people a lot of young people they love amusement parks i personally hate them the last time i went with the college students to wonderland was i think 13 years ago my first year here And one, I let one of them talk me into doing this particular ride that in my better judgment, I knew I should, I was sick the rest of the day. I've not walked in that place ever since. Why waste the money? Now, some adults love it, you know, they love being all messed up and their equilibrium going out the window. Uh, That's just not me. And if, if there's nothing sinful in riding a ride, but that's a short lived joy. Okay, nothing wrong with it. I encourage family, go on vacation, make memories, but you can't be on vacation 52 weeks a year. Some people call that retirement, but I don't think that's really true. The the lost world has plenty to try and make them laugh. And some of it is absolutely shameful. But the reality is they're laughing their way to an eternity of eternal judgment. They're dulling and numbing their spiritual senses. So look at the verse, it says a merry heart. Merry, obviously, if you like English, you see it's an adjective describing the heart, meaning it's glad, it has joy happy is a part of it but the heart is not talking about obviously the the muscle that's pumping blood through your body it's talking about the core of your being your attitudes your your uh, responses and once again what is repeated throughout proverbs is at least intimated here what we allow to harbor in our hearts always shows up you know, if you know somebody pretty well, you can sort of gauge how they're doing by just looking at them. Now, some people have a little more of a poker face, and that's it's not a good term for a Christian, but I mean, they don't show their emotions a lot. Other people, you can read them like a book. I understand that. Notice down in verse number 30, the first half, the light of the eyes rejoiceth the heart. You remember when Nehemiah got word about the devastation in Jerusalem? He was struggling with what had happened in his homeland. What did the king say? How did the king know there was a problem? Nehemiah 2.2, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And what that is teaching us along with our text here in Proverbs is if we're not careful, we can allow the circumstances of life to suck the joy from our testimony. We can be so focused on the disappointments and the heaviness and the problems that we lose sight of the sovereignty of God. Folks, let me tell you something, as much as we don't like to hear this, every good gift is from God, every trial is allowed by God. So he wants to accomplish something in our lives through those hard things. And so either we're gonna focus on the thing or we're gonna focus on the gracious hand of God who loves us too much to leave us where we're at. Let me tell you something, Problems are not the problem. Problems are a problem when we allow them to be the problem. Now that's a profound thought. In other words, God loves us too much to leave us where we're at and he knows the impetus or the tool best suited to bring us into the likeness of Christ is that particular burden. Nobody in their right mind signs up for trouble. Nobody says, Oh, I want to have a medical dilemma. I want to go through financial hardship. I want to have a disappointment on my job. Nobody wants that. We all want to be healthy, We all want to be wise. We all want to succeed. But do you know that health and success do not make you a better Christian? In fact, it's harder. It's harder. So he says here, the merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. The spirit is broken. Another adjective. It means beaten down, crushed, stricken, wounded even. So in other words, when we don't respond properly, trusting God in the problem, the difficulty, the tribulation, the trial, we allow that problem, tribulation or trial to literally crush our spirit. Turn over one page, Proverbs 18, verse number 14. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity but a wounded spirit who can bear? The idea is if we respond properly, trusting God, letting the joy of the Lord be our strength, we're not going to be crushed. But if we, re, if we allow that problem to overwhelm us, it will just grind us up. Whatever may be pressing down in your spirit that you feel at times may break you. Let it rather be the means of showing Christ to this broken world. Do you know you can choose joy in the valley? You can choose to show forth a trust in God in your most painful moments. And the Lord has promised to give joy when we rest in him. An old Puritan saint, Rutherford, put it this way, quote, I wonder many times that ever a child of God should have a sad heart considering what his Lord is preparing for him. What did Jesus say? I go to prepare a place for you. You know, folks, we all love life to a degree. Nobody wants to die before their time. But let's be honest, death is a reality of life, right? And whatever we go through in this life, though it may be a veil of tears, though it may be a time of shadow, look, if God chooses for us to pass from this earthly life, what are we going to get? no more pain no more tears no more sorrow the continual presence of the lord you know isn't it interesting how we hang on to something that is temporal and is a not even second best when god is preparing a place for us now none of us want to die i'm not minimizing death but i think rick russ pastored here in canada he was in oakville started a church He um, has worked for the last several years, Baptist Church Planting Ministry, 57 years of age, and he's in his final days with esophageal cancer. Final days. Been praying for his wife, Tammy, his children. I think he has a few grandchildren. But I'm not sorrowing for Rick. He's about to be set free. I'm sorrowing for his family. Saying goodbye is always hard, but, you know, we need to understand folks. Look, the worst thing that we face could be the avenue for us to be in the greatest of all imaginations, eternity with God, that's the worst. So we need to adjust our attitude. I don't like being sick. My wife, she likes to tease me because if I get the 24 hour flu, I better be well in 24 hours. I'm gonna get back to work. I'm not a good patient. When I'm sick, I don't want her babying me. I hear, you know, men, they want somebody there. Yeah, not me. I'm going to the bedroom. I'm going to bed. I'll come back out when I'm alive again. Leave me alone. That's, that's me, okay? So if I ever came down with something debilitating, I'm, I'm afraid I would really have to work hard to have a good attitude and be a good patient because I'm not a good patient. I've confessed my sin. Pray for me, brethren. But the truth of the matter is no matter what we're facing, God is still good. He never changes. God is still love. He never changes. Nothing about God changes no matter what we're going through. Okay, so number one, man I've, I'm waxing too eloquent here. I'm gonna have to speed it up. A merry heart number two look at verse 15 all the days of the afflicted are evil but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast a merry heart is a personal blessing not only is a merry heart a testimony to others it's a personal blessing who are the afflicted the word can mean those depressed whether in mind or in circumstances, it refers to those who are suffering. It could mean poverty, oppression, misery from whatever cause. They're the afflicted. It says the all the days of the afflicted are evil, bad. If you want it simply. So those who are going through circumstances are every day is bad. How's today? Well, it's not as bad as yesterday, but it's not good. Uh, you know, I've pastored people with things like pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer is pretty much a death certificate. It's a it's a slow degrading till you pass away, and it, it gets worse and worse and worse, at least in the ones that I have pastored. But, but then he makes a contrast with, The ones of a merry heart, they're having a continual feast. So the person who lives in the land of negativity finds everything bad. You remember when Naomi came back from Moab? What did she say as she entered back into her home city? I'm no longer Naomi. Call me Mara. Because everything's bad. I went down there married, I come back a widow. I went down a mother, I come back after burying both my sons and I'm not minimizing any of that. Those are all horrendous experiences and understanding that certainly her heart was heavy, but what she did not see, but we can read the rest of the story is through all of that, God was about to work a beautiful story of grace and redemption. She would be now in the line through her daughter-in-law of the Messiah. But she didn't see that. All she saw was it's all gone, it's all gone, It's all bad. And she chose to focus on that rather than the goodness of God. And the truth is for a believer, it's a terrible testimony because it's pretty hard to tell somebody, listen, you need to get saved because my God is good, even though my life stinks. Okay, that's about as blunt as I can make it, but that's true. That's true. But think about somebody walking in the joy of the Lord. Their life is a source of joy. It says it's a continual feast. Again, not empty frivolity or foolishness, but the kind of joy that rests in the fact, in confidence that God is at work. Look, you're choosing to be joyful, or you're choosing to be miserable. Has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with your focus. Is it on God or on yourself? Are you trusting him or not? And it's a continual feast, it never ends. And what the Bible is teaching us is in spite of the difficulty, in spite of the pain, in spite of the loss, we can have personal blessing and enjoyment. We don't have to let that stuff bring us down. Look, folks, just because you don't see it doesn't mean God isn't at work, i.e., remember Naomi. God's working in ways we can't see. He's always working far more ways than we can imagine. And the focus of this verse is on our outlook. Look, we've been honest about the fact life on this earth is not easy. It doesn't always go well. There are disappointments. But again, are we focusing on that or are we focusing on what God is trying to accomplish? I'm convinced some people just like to wallow in their problems and they always want you to know theirs are worse than anybody else. Sort of like the guy who his wife made him a sandwich and there was very, there was a big chunk of Limburger cheese in his sandwich and some got stuck in his mustache and from then on out the whole world stunk. very terrible joke, but a very real perspective. Either we're going to wallow in our problems or we're going to look for God's hand in them. And we're going to submit to what God wants to do through them. Listen to minor prophet Habakkuk chapter 3. I'll read verses 17 and 18. He said, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, Neither shall fruit be in the vine. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Now remember, that's a farmer speaking. Habakkuk says everything's bad. The trees aren't producing, the crops are not producing, the animals have died. The very next verse, yet I will rejoice in the lord i will joy in the god of my salvation you understand folks we are commanded to rejoice in the lord i just started going through how many times the bible tells us to do that first chronicles 16 10 glory ye in his holy name let the heart of them rejoice that seek the lord Psalm 20, verse 5, we will rejoice in thy salvation and in the name of our God. Psalm 35, 9, and my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. Psalm 97, 12, rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Psalm 118, 24, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And I didn't read even half of them. Unsaved people will do whatever they can to forget their troubles, and usually it's a sinful response. While the child of God is to remember and choose to rejoice, trusting God is at work because he's a gentle shepherd. He leads us in a particular path. That means a path is chosen for us. He meets every need we have. If you weren't here, we talked about that this past Sunday. God is our shepherd. Thirdly, turn to chapter 17, and I'll speed up even a little more. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. So in other words, it's good for you. A merry heart is good for you. It's good for you. Uh, look, back, uh, look forward to chapter 18, verse 14. Again, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. If you want to nurse your hurt, you're going to be crushed under the, under the load. A cheerful outlook is therapeutic, while a negative spirit causes our decline. We don't have time. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, the Lord healed the paralytic man. You can read it, verses 2 to 7. The first thing you find, the Lord said, thy sins be forgiven thee. Before he said, then they challenged the Lord, what do you think you're doing? He said, well, I just as easily said, rise up, take up thy bed and walk. Charles Bridges in his commentary put it this way, this was doubtless a greater medicine to the paralyzed man than the healing of his limbs." Forgiveness. Look, if God never does another thing for you but you're a child of his, he forgave you. That's far more than any of us deserve. In fact, I'm praying about that for Sunday night's theme as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Just look folks, God is good. I understand your circumstances are painful. We're going through some ourselves. I understand that. Maybe I'm preaching just to the choir tonight, preaching to myself. But the reality is either we're going to be driven into despair or we're going to seek the face of God. We choose to have the joy of the Lord as our strength or not. A broken spirit, again, a crushed spirit. Now, we talk about how sometimes God will break our spirit for our humility. That's a good thing. But a crushed spirit, there's no recovery. And we get to make that choice. I was doing this, and I was thinking about things, illustrations. I remembered a a statement George Mueller made. Mueller was... uh, just a very simple preacher in Bristol, England, who had multitudes of orphans and reached the down and outers. And he never asked anyone for anything. He prayed it all in. If you've not read his biography, oh man, you, you're, you're, you're missing it. And Just amazing story after amazing story. But this is what he said. "Quote: I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how much I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man may be nourished. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and meditation on it. He took that as a moral obligation. My number one job every day is to get my heart happy in the Lord. Okay, so you say, okay, pastor, this is an ugly world. A lot of stuff going on. How on earth can I have a merry heart? Let me give you four suggestions very quickly. If you want to have a merry heart, guard your heart. What I mean by that who you spend time with, what you listen to, because iron sharpens iron. Do you know you don't need to listen to the news every day? I mean, if you want to get fired up about politics and be angry all the time, go ahead. Listen to Rebel News, Fox News, all those people. And I'm not saying stick your head in the sand and don't know what's going on, but let me ask you something. Is that helping you spiritually? About four months ago, five months and this is you do whatever you want. I did it because I felt like the Lord wanted me to do that. I, I quit reading Facebook. Unless Jan brings something to me, look at this, look at that. Although I'm a little bitter right now to Arlo and Jayzel, They've done more on this first month of their life than I've done in my entire life. But anyway, that's another issue. I'm repenting. You wanna know why I got off? Because it was affecting my spirit. I used to be an avid news watcher. Jan would leave the room. She said, it's all bad. Why do you watch that? Now I watch it maybe one night a week, just so I'm not totally ignorant what's going on. And those talking heads who like to get angry and spit at you, I don't watch any of them. Now you do whatever you feel like the Lord wants you to do. I'm not telling you to do what I'm doing, but I felt like I had to guard my spirit. So I had to cut off some of those things that were affecting me. Number two, truly trust the Lord. He does know what's best. His path for you includes the hurts, the grief, the trouble, but the hurts, grief, and trouble are not the point. It's what they can accomplish. So trust him. Number three, choose to focus on the positive. Again, I'm not trying to let's be Pollyanna. There are difficulties in life. There are dark times in life, but hold his hand more tightly in those times. Monday, I got out and played my first round of golf this year. That shows you how bad a year it's been. I I haven't played all year long, met with a pastor, played. And the only reason was this golf course lets us play for $10 and they're stopping that program. So I felt like I'm stupid not to go. It's good stewardship to go because normally it would have been 80 bucks. So it's a very nice course. We met, we played. And uh, on the, in the course, of, we, he, he's a very good guy. No gossip goes on. I asked about a, a missionary out of his church because uh, we're connected through that. I said, you know, my concern for him is the whole world is negative. And he said, you're absolutely right. I've talked to him many, many times. Look folks, in my life, ministry is tough. I'm not asking for sympathy, I'm just being honest. But it's not all bad. And either I'm gonna look at the difficulty or I'm gonna thank God for the goodness. Doesn't mean I diminish the difficulty, I need to pray. But I'm gonna focus on that which is good. So we have to choose our focus And number four, obey his word. What does the Lord say? Cast your burdens on him. Why? He cares for you. We're to bear burdens with other people. But you know what? You can't change any of those burdens. Neither can I. So I'm to get under that burden and pray with them and then cast it on the Lord. God doesn't expect me to be destroyed by somebody else's burden. I'm just to take the obligation to pray for them seriously. I'm sorry I had to rush so much. I hope that was a help and encouragement. And if nobody was helped, I was. So I'm glad you got to share it